Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This is the official Winning Time podcast from HBO, Hyperobject Industries, and Pineapple Street Studios. I'm Rodney Barnes. I want to build something special. The Los Angeles Lakers select... The entire league is on the verge of bankruptcy. Irvin. With me, it's going to be exciting. Magic. Our girls, they won't cheer. They'll dance. Johnson. It's showtime! This week, we take a closer look at some of the biggest characters in Lakers history, the people off the court who helped build this dynasty, and how we, as the writers, portrayed them. Today, I go into the writers' room showrunner Max Bornstein, and writer-executive producer Jim Hecht. But first, let's rewind the tape for a quick recap of this week's episode. The Lakers are weeks away from training camp, and they still don't have a head coach. Jerry West has quit, and not even Dr. Jerry Buss can keep up his smooth-talking, calm, cool, collective facade. Get away from my door, or you're all fired! Magic is putting down roots in L.A., but he's coming to find that L.A. is a far different place from Lansing, Michigan. So with some help from Norm Nixon, played by Devon Nixon, real-life son of Norm, he's learning the ropes of how this city works. The fashion, the food, the fun, and everything that comes with being an L.A. resident. Well, my name is Zastro, and everybody around this motherfucker likes to call me Zastro. Nice to meet you, Zastro. Meanwhile, Pat Riley comes on the scene. He's a retired Laker looking to get back into the game. He pitches himself as a color commentator to Laker sportscaster Chick Hearn. I feel like I have more to give to it. I know I do. Well, I, I gotta, I gotta run any new guy through bus. I mean, uh, he's very particular. You're about, not gonna regret it. You won't regret it. The problem is your voice. Oh, that chick doesn't pull any punches, does he? Okay, so. To kick things off, I'm sitting down with co-creator, showrunner, and executive producer, Max Bornstein. Max, welcome to the show. I am happy to be here, Rodney. Thank you for having me. <laughs> this is the one that I actually am looking forward to more than any of the others. Because even though we talk every day, multiple times a day, text in the middle of the night, I want to find out something about our process that I don't already know. Yeah, I love that idea. Let's do it. <clears throat> We're talking about episode 103. and But before we get to that, um, let's talk about me and you for a moment. Mm. 
How did we get together from your point of view? Well, I was looking for a great writer uh, on a show when we were casting a room, not this show, a previous show that will remain unmentioned, but its main value to the world, in my opinion, was the fact that in looking for a great writer, I read a script you'd written and thought it was fantastic and uh, nuanced and interesting and funny. And uh, we met at a coffee shop in Venice or Mar Vista or someplace. It's around there, around there. And I mean, I, I like to think that we kind of hit it off right away. Well, it was supposed to be like a 15-minute conversation and it lasted for like hours. Yeah. And what's funny about you and me is that I think from the beginning, we've had a really just easy relationship. Not to say we don't fight. We fight all the time. We do, but they've always been very productive, usually. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, I think we had a common language when we first got together, where I think we had similar references, similar things we just dug. Coppola. Yeah. Our favorite movies. I remember after I mean I was pretty excited because I was like okay when I first saw you I was like no way we're going to get along you know he's completely we are rather different, different in our we're incredibly and everything just that we don't look like we should be in the same right. room we don't look like I'm incredibly big and black you're incredibly <laughs> white and little and it's like this not incredibly work. little but compared well, little to enough, you I'm little little enough I know okay. you got blonde hair now but it's it's, <laughs> it's it's a different thing and I remember going home I was telling my son he said you look happy dad I was like man I found this white man and I think we're gonna get along great <laughs> and lo and behold look at what happened many of these years later we've we've done a thing and we've we've come up and and done a thing um <laughs> let's talk about the show you know, started back, what, four years ago? Boy, yeah. Jim will remember better exactly when it was I uh, that I got involved. Jim, I think the moment that the book came out was Jim grew up a diehard Laker fan. Uh, I was a Laker fan growing up, too. Uh, Jim, however, puts every Laker fan to shame. Oh, he wears the onesies, the Lakers onesie. <laughs> yeah. It's embarrassing. Yeah, and it's so he was in so in love with that book. Uh, right away. I mean, he that he went and pounded the pavement and got Jeff Perlman to agree. I mean, he really put in the lion's share of work in getting that book option. I remember walking into, because we started in New York. Yeah. <laughs> back when, you, I think you were working on a movie. Yeah, and I was working, movie. you were, were shooting the Wu-Tang show. I was you were doing Wu-Tang on. in yeah. Staten Island, and yeah. you were doing the movie, mm-hmm. and we would get together on the weekends mm-hmm. and talk about the show. Mm-hmm. But then I remember coming to uh, the office in L.A., and there were all of these books. Every basketball book that you could possibly imagine had been scoured through. They all had notes in them. I think that was one of was first working on the pilot, I decided to use post-it notes. And so the books became like five times as fat. Yes. Because they yes, each had that's like what I said. a they bunch all of had post-it little post-it thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I get a book and a book would have all of the post-its in it. And yeah, and all of these, and you got to get this passage and that passage and whatever. But all of this to say a tremendous amount of research. Yeah. Um, and then thinking and talking. I think well, that just was the humanizing and and thinking. Yes, that was the thing. The two and of us, even when of getting into the room of humanizing these mm-hmm. people and the world that they were in, and finding mm-hmm. uh, themes that sort of fit. Yeah, and knowing that. I mean, I think where it changes 
it from something that is theoretically interesting for us into something that we go, oh, we got it, is when we're talking about like the what happened behind closed doors. Yes. And we start thinking about people mm-hmm. as opposed to icons yes, and figures exactly. of the public. Humanizing. Them. Yeah. Yeah. There's one aspect of the show that's really important to me. I'm sure it's important to you as well. It's that we give the audience an aspect of what they know mm-hmm. as far as Laker history. Mm-hmm. Then there's a part you don't know. That's the best part. And this episode sort of highlights the beginning mm. of what you don't know. Yeah, good point. And that being Jack McKinney. Both, I would, this episode, you've got, actually, you're right. You have a few of those things. You've got the beginnings of the coaching saga yes. of the season, which, yes. without spoiling it, is extraordinarily convoluted mm-hmm. for the path from Jerry West to who everybody knows eventually is the Lakers coach, Pat Riley. But the path along the way is extraordinarily complicated and fascinating and impossible to believe and true. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then there's, and we meet in this episode, Pat Riley yes. also. Who uh, well, is, well, wait, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. We don't just meet Pat Riley. <laughs> There's a very important way we meet Pat Riley. No former players. Check again, my man. Come on. Pat Riley. It's, it, it's got to be there. Nope. You going to see the next page? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's the same shit. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. here for Chick. Mm-hmm. Hmm? Not on the list. Well, if I just go in there, it's not going to be a... Hey, hey, hey. It's funny because from the early days of when we were working on sort of figuring out the whole season, we kind of came up with this character that would be played by Rodney called Maurice, who is an <laughs> invented character. Well, well, but let me say this. He's Bef- very useful. It, well, okay, now he, he sounds like garbage man. But the <laughs> thing is, I remember walking into the office for the first time and I saw all of these actors' pictures on the wall. And then you. And then I saw my picture. Yeah. And then I looked at you and I said, why is my picture on the wall? Oh, yes, Maurice. There's a thing. Everybody knew about Maurice except me. Well, right, because, you know, you can't, it's hard to write yourself because we see you from the, we know, we know mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. you have to be. Okay. And we know you're funny. <laughs> oh, We you. know there's a, there's a kind of, uh-huh. you know, there's an edge. Yeah, but warmth. You there's a get, de- yes, I'm going to throw that in warmth. there for me. All there's right. an intimidation factor, but once we get to know that. you, you're it, a big teddy bear. I don't bear. know what that means. I'm going to uh, go with that for right and now. And so, well, first of all, there's a true story. It's a true story that when Pat Riley first, uh, in his years in the wilderness, as it were, between his time as a player for the Lakers and his time returning, not as a coach, but as you see in this episode, as a sidekick uh, color commentator for Chick Hearn, there was a moment that he recounts where he wasn't allowed into the behind-the-scenes parts of the forum, mm-hmm. even though he was like, I want a fucking ring. I, and, you know, this Someone was really, had to be there to stop that. How do we dramatize that yes. scene? Yes. And we and really the question was, how do we do that? And and the answer was, we need a new character. And mm-hmm. we need a character who's the who represents, in many ways, the forum itself. Yeah, there you go. There you so go. So Maurice now is... Now we're getting good. Now, Maurice yeah. represents the forum itself. Yeah. You'll see him here. The scene is you and Pat Riley. Pat Riley wants to get into the forum, and Maurice is there telling him 
no former players. Yeah. Uh, and and he attempts to connect with you in slightly awkward ways. Mm-hmm. My and, blackness. He tries right? to appeal to my blackness. And 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 doesn't quite work. Uh, and it's a frustrating moment uh, that kicks off his journey in the episode. But your uh, performance was really good. Come on, brother man. Come on. Cut me some slack, will you? I'm not some honky off the street, man. I played here for five years, okay? I won me a ring, all right? I know you got a job to do, but I have a meeting in there, okay? I, I, I promise you, I'm, I'm on the list. No former players, brother man. So uh, back to Jack McKinney, played by the great Tracy Letts. The great Tracy Letts, my God. Um, I love him. Pulitzer Prize winning. He's our... You know, we have two Pulitzer Prize-winning playwrights yes. on our show. Yes. Acting, yes. not writing. Yes. Um, and uh, maybe that was a mistake, but they're but they're great at the acting part. That they are. And uh, yeah, we have uh, we have Stephen Nadley Gerges who plays mm-hmm. Frank, and Tracy Letts who plays Jack McKinney, and who's uh, you know J- casting McKinney was one of the hardest things. You know, cause, remember because it yep. was like everyone else. Almost everyone else who's like a name character in the show, there are these iconic figures and people have, there's its own challenge there, which is, you know, how do we find a Magic Johnson when everyone knows what magic is like? How do you find Kareem when everybody knows or feels like they know what Kareem is like and on down? That was its own challenge. Jack McKinney is different because one of the crazy things, which actually I hope this show rectifies, is that no one remembers Jack McKinney. Exactly. And as a result, he's not been a figure in the public eye. And so how do you, you know, we knew about him, mm-hmm. but there's painfully little footage and he doesn't have an, like a persona that we're aware of. So Tracy, and we we thought a lot of, you know, we looked at a lot of people and thought long and hard and Tracy, it was just like, he's such a fine actor and he's so smart. He is. And he's, and he's, he was, and he has a completely different energy uh, than any of the other actors who there's are playing that coaching thing. staff. There's an introspective yeah. thing that he's able to convey when he's doing his thing that I can't imagine anyone else playing yeah. him. And you see it in that first scene where, you know, Jerry West is packing up and he can't quite let go because he loves the game and he hates the game and he's terrified that if he leaves the game, there's going to be nothing left. And, and then in walks McKinney and he's straightforward. Who the fuck are you? We met a few times. Jack McKinney. I'm the assistant coach in Portland. Oh, yeah, right. Doc Ramsey's guy. He lets me out of the house sometimes. Have a minute? Look, if you hear about the coaching job, I'm not the guy to talk to. I'm out the fucking door. Yeah, that's why Bill called me down. For what? For my job. I guess they're seeing a few people. To be honest, I have reservations. Oh, fuck goddammit, so do I. I mean, you're, you're, you're a number two. I mean, this is head coach of the fucking Lakers. But it's a great contrast yeah. to, to the other guys. You've got the more bombastic Jerry West. You've got, you know, Paul Westhead. Yeah. He's more it, Shakespearean. Yeah, he's coming you know, at it from the outside, yeah. looking in. Um, so, yeah, I think Tracy did great. But I think also it's tough lobbying for narrative real estate when you have this unknown. Yeah. When people want to see or, uh, you know, why are you giving this guy so much Yeah, well, th- and this episode is interesting that way, right? Because you've got the two guys. You've got the guy everyone's waiting to see yes. as coach. Exactly. You've got Pat Riley. But exactly. you meet him, he's got a mustache, and he's not the guy you th- you're waiting for yet. 
right? He's yet to come into that identity. He's yet to find himself. And then you meet this guy, Jack McKinney, who no one's ever heard of, but there's something about him that's just so confident with ease in who he is and what he is. Yes, he's an assistant. He's been an assistant, but he knows that what he's got in his head, he knows he has a system that can work. And it throws West because he's skeptical about the Lakers, McKinney. And West is like, well, what's not right? What's not perfect about this fucking job? And he's offended. And yet, when he starts digging in, he realizes this guy might be a fucking genius. And, uh, of course, by that point, uh, Bus has moved on to Tarkanian. See, now, this is the kind of love that you guys, you want me to leave, right? For what the, these fucking phonies in Hollywood? Tark, what you got here... It's magnificent. Of course they love you, but L.A. is going to love you even more. They are. So let me take what you do here, the speed, that fucking lightning offense, let me put it on the biggest stage there is. He was a guy who everyone kind of, who had a reputation, and people, Jack Kent Cook had tried to lure him when he owned the team, and Wes, and Bus came in and just made him an extraordinary offer uh, and very nearly had him. Uh, coach the team, as you see in this episode. and uh, But I think the consequences of that speak to the nature of Tarkanian and what he would have brought with him to Los Angeles mm. within the episode of what happened to Vic Weiss. Well, it's, yeah, and it's interesting because it's like Tarkanian, in a way, was more obvious choice for Bus because yeah. he has that Vegas yeah. showman kind Blitz. of personality. Yeah, yeah charisma. Yeah. Yeah. Charisma, and he's like a... He's a big, larger-than-life personality. Ironically, they wind up with, with the a, that's the opposite a smaller-than-life yeah. personality. Yeah. But the fundamentals of what he yes. envisions yes. is the brilliance, right? Yes. So, like, he's not the big, flashy character that Jack. I mean, that Jerry Tarkanian is. But Jack McKinney brings to the Lakers this genius idea that actually is, every, is, you know, every bit as entertaining as the personality could And have been. having been an assistant coach for the Portland Trailblazers, actually understood the NBA yes. in a different type of way. Yes. What should we take away, having told the McKinney story, um, what should the audience, you think, take away from the Jack McKinney journey after watching the character sort of go through his evolution in the show? What should we be left with as far as Jack McKinney? Well, I mean, I hope that one of the things people come away with from watching the show in general is not just an appreciation for the bits and pieces that they didn't know about the people that they know, mm -hmm. the Magics, the Kareems, right. the Pat Rileys, but knowing and respecting and having a new appreciation or an appreciation period for the characters and the people that they've never heard of. And McKinney is top of that list, as is Claire Rothman, as is Spencer Haywood. You know, people know those names, mm -hmm. but not many. Not, you know, you look at your average basketball fan today, and these are not names that leap They're to mind. names. I hope that our show can, like, can rectify that and people come away thinking, wow, Jack McKinney was the innovator. I sort of look at it like... The modern era of basketball, for me, was when the ABA sort of came into the NBA. Mm -hmm. And you took street ball, and guys like Jack McKinney took it and put structure to it. Mm -hmm. And took it away yeah. from the traditional way basketball was played prior to. Right, the slow kind of half-court set. Exactly. It's still fundamentals, right. but it's still it's so up-tempo that you're going to get more athleticism. Right. And it becomes more entertaining. Mm -hmm. 
not just the idea. Well, I think of it's interesting because it's like you think about a, the way Magic played, and you think about a fast break style, and oftentimes you don't think about the philosophy or the coaching style yes. behind it. Yes, and and it's a perfect synthesis because it's hard to imagine what McKinney's style would have looked like with anyone other than Magic mm-hmm. at the helm. So, Max, I think it's time to introduce the most important component. Yeah. Without whom? We wouldn't be here. Yeah. Yeah. If it hadn't have been for Jim Hecht being outside of Book Soup and waiting for this book to come out by Jeff Perlman, Showtime, we wouldn't be here right now. So all praise to Jim Hecht, co-creator, executive producer, and writer Jim Hecht. I put all of the stuff in front of it. So here you go. I see you turning red. I wasn't going to answer okay. unless you got all three in. Yeah, you so, got to get yeah. all of the accolades. See, right. I have to make sure that you're teed up properly. You got to protect me here. As to what you are. So, go ahead, Max. Well, I was just going to say that Jim's passion for the Lakers is scary creepy. It's a little bit creepy. <laughs> it's a little it's bit creepy. creepy. I go to games with him quite often. I, I love the Lakers. I yet. But all of which is to say, you read Jeff Perlman's book and thought that when we first sat down to talk about it, you told me that you believed that this could be the greatest television show ever made. and uh, Ever and produced by a human being. By a human being. Yes. And I thought, oh, God. You believed that shit? No, at the you, time okay. I thought this is absurd. All right, yeah. Not like I didn't think I'm glad we could you do didn't a good tell show. Me that. I'm glad you didn't no, tell me that No, it's not part. that I didn't think yeah. we could do a good show, but Jim's, it, I, that expresses Jim's passion and yeah. enthusiasm. yeah. And I found it endearing. I thought it was ridiculous. <laughs> because, and like kind of conceited. Endearing and ridiculous. But I will say time and again. Okay. He, uh, that, at the hardest parts of this process, both creatively in the room when we're struggling with what to do. Mm-hmm. And also just in general over the grind it is to kind of like bring anything like this into existence. That passion, enthusiasm, oh, and optimism is kind of the reason why we survived. Oh, yeah. At, 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 I can, you know, a dozen different moments where it could have gone wildly south. Uh, so A guy that can tell you Pat Riley's blood type is invaluable. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, Rodney, you've said this, like, it's so hard to make anything good. It is. Great. It is. And if it you is. don't have that, the love for it and the passion, you're going to give up at some point. Yes. You're definitely going to cut corners. In any yes. endeavor, something that is as difficult as this is to do, if you don't have passion for it, it's hard to go through the parts that don't work. We all have it, and we all have that, yeah. a yeah, certain yeah, yeah, amount of that yeah, yeah. knowledge and a certain yeah. amount of that love. Like, I am a fan, but I don't call myself a fan in front of Jim, really, because it's a it's different— It's an insult. It's, it's an, an insult, insult to, to the Jim. word fan. Exactly. When you get around Jim, yes. and he showed me, like, the rim of his underwear, and they were liquor uh-huh. underwear. And I'm like, first, where do you get liquor underwear from? And then second, why are you showing me? <laughs> but three, <laughs> but three, like, how is anybody that much of a fan? But it's imp- very difficult to be that much of a fan and then retain the objectivity. Yes, that's true. And yes. the ability to go, yeah. okay, this is... This is what I love about it. But wait, let's take a step back and let's think about it from another angle. And I think that's something that you've also, like, that I'm impressed by at many turns when we've had those discussions that doesn't come naturally for someone who was, you know, you've just been such a diehard for so long. 
So talk about the Perlman, the journey. I think it starts with what you guys said, the, the passion for it. Because when this happened for me, I was at a, a low, low moment in mm. my life. I was really depressed. I had gone through a huge breakup, so personal uh, down moment, and then also a professional disappointment. And it was as low as I ever remember feeling. And um, I started getting into this meditation stuff, which I know everybody is not not is <laughs> not the most. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. The I, TM. We had free. I'm not done we TM. got free twice. We were offered yeah. free lessons in your guy, time. but I'm you know I can uh, I can get I did it because it, it was free. I I'd like yeah. to do it. I don't think way. you meditate. You go to sleep. But continue. But I had this thought while I was doing it really early on, which was, um, you can no longer do stuff that you like. You only got to do stuff mm. that you love. Because when I just like something, it is a grind. It is soul-sucking. Mm -hmm. My ego hurts. My heart hurts. I don't do a good job. I don't think I can do it the whole time. I'm depressed. But when you love something, like, I'm not going to say it's all joy all the time because it's not. Sometimes it's really hard. But enough of it is joy and flow that you can you can do it and mm -hmm. get through it and do a good job with it. And um, and that was like a lightning bolt. And then the other thing somebody had said to me was, like, you got to stop trying to write what you think everybody else wants to see and write the show that you want to see. Mm. And See, that's the th – and that's yeah. – honestly, you're the person – I'm the target audience. No, but you're the person who saw <laughs> that this could be a show before right. anybody. Well, and so it was like literally the very next day, I was listening to Max and Marcellus on ESPN because I'm that big of a fan that I listen to Lakers talk radio. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> I know, it should be embarrassing, but it's not somehow. And They'll um, give you a great gift. <laughs> and, and they, right, and they talked, I think Jeff was on. They talked to Jeff and he said, this new book's coming out. And so I was at Book Soup about nine o'clock or whenever it opened the next morning, I was there when the door opened and I bought the book and I sat down. I'm not a fast reader, but I was done with that book by like 11 or 12. And I happened to be writing, this is 2014. That's when, what I was wondering how yeah, long, wow. It was 2014. I happened to be watching the first season of True Detectives. So I didn't have the language of limited series, but I was like, I want to do like True Detectives with the Lakers in the 80s. And I remember my agent was like, Jim, this is the thing that's going to be written on your gravestone. Uh, wow. And so, okay, good uh, for him. Yeah, that's usually multiple oh, visionaries. Oh, usually, the, the, and then he like left an agent, me. Well, I was gonna say, <laughs> usually the story you hear is the agent was like, "Jim, can you just write another fucking Ice Age movie?" Right. Well, yeah, everybody wanted said a that too. animal. Yeah, thing. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> actually, that was said. It wasn't just one. That's amazing. He said, that's nice, but if you want to get paid, right? Talking okay. animals. Okay, I don't like know. a mix. Yeah. Of, but the fact right. that he was supportive is fucking great. Yeah, he saw that one, and then uh, we tracked down Jeff, and I flew. To New York. I took the train up to New Rochelle. It was Easter Sunday. I just went back and saw the emails. I brought him. Uh, I stopped. I was early, so I went to the grocery store, and I was like, w I, I got to bring something for dinner. I, I was raised somewhat right. <laughs> and so I brought him a uh, a block of chocolate. Mm. Yeah, that's um, a good dinner. I wouldn't have let you in my house. He, he it sounds like what you bring to a vampire. Yeah, it was like a block of chocolate. What else? I think it was, it was already like, in when I unveiled yeah. what I brought. It yeah, was a tomato, it, a block of chocolate. That's what I'm saying. Oh, Jesus. A tomato and a block of chocolate. <laughs> I would have like, like, who is this whole yeah, crazy person who showed up like, from the institution at my door? <laughs> that's how Jeff and I click. We're both weird like that. And a bottle of non-alcoholic <laughs> yeah. wine. 
All disgusting. And things. fortunately, Jeff had been disappointed. <laughs> Even if you put them together, oh, well, I love if you chocolate mix and them I do love tomatoes. It's still nasty. I'm, I'm uh, the jury's like the, out on non-alcoholic. Maybe wine, the chocolate but the alone. Three together, yeah. but the chocolate, a tomato, and non-alcoholic. <laughs> All right, go ahead. We should have mixed them together and see what came out. This I don't shit think, is I don't a miracle. Any of it. This is a miracle we see right there. It gets more and more unlikely the more you hear about it. No, um, continue, please. I think I think the only reason it worked out was because Jeff had been disappointed by Hollywood so many times mm-hmm. already. Like, he had optioned three or four books and was like, this is it's all It's never going to go anywhere. Right. But, the tomato, but the tomato. But the tomato that like, got you know me in the door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That it, like, endeared him, I think. And then, <laughs> None of the other guys bought tomatoes. No, they, they, they went for something more traditional, like a real bottle of wine. Like, yeah, yeah, right. And uh, he said when he closed the door afterwards that him and his wife turned to each other and they were like, Nothing's ever going to happen out of this. Uh, cut to. And we'll cut, cut to there in the pilot. I wish yes. there was a cut, too, because then it was years, right? It yeah. Was like years and years and years. And nobody, I'll, I'll just say this without calling anybody's names out, nobody thought this was a great idea until Kevin Messick and Adam McKay thought it was a great idea. Mm-hmm. And then things started to move fast. Well, we had to wait for Max because he had huge writing assignments to wait oh, on. huge. And yeah, they were. Huge. They were intimidating. They were like... He's intimidating. Yes. All of it. His whole (laughs) life is intimidating. But continue. So... And that, I mean, I, I hope I'm not embarrassing, but that was like a year, right? Yeah, that you, were, you guys hope, waited forever. I actually hope it no, is No, you waited forever <laughs> in a way where I felt... Because, like, you, you know, you guys have had this experience of people waiting for you to write something, and you yeah, feel I'm guilty. I'm going through it right now. Yeah, and you feel guilty yeah, about it. it and I felt guilty all the more so because it wasn't like... Because you're not like some corporation or some executive. Right. You're like a... Dude, I was, was a dream. Was, yes, <laughs> you this did was actually. Your passion project. You did actually say it to me like a couple of times. I these guys had these guys waiting forever, and these guys are waiting forever. And they were so patient. Yes, because you can nag somebody out of a project. I've I've oh, been 100%. nagged out of a and project. And honestly, had I been nagged in that moment, yeah, you would have gone max. I would have just probably yeah. not done it. Yeah, and and partly because. Until we really started sitting down and talking about it, and then it, and really cracking it, I saw the light come on, and you were at that I place. Was, I didn't. Yes, see you it weren't. Totally. Ex- yes, there was. What was that restaurant? I was like, I like the Lakers, yeah. and it's fun, and maybe it's a little mini series, and it is what it is. And then it was like, yeah, we sat down at that place, Westside Tavern, and, and you we talked yourself talking. into it. Yeah. <laughs> well, the good thing from the McKay thing is he doesn't have anything else going. So right, he's he's. he's well, we knew that, yeah, guy. we knew that McKay. Yeah, he's a patient. He's guy. just waiting. Yeah, yeah. he was like he, <laughs> he was like, he was come on, what his is this thing gonna happen? He's waiting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. We right. Jeff and I went to his house to pitch, and he was laying on the couch, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I said to him, I was like, "All right, you got an Oscar, you were head writer on SNL, you've done this, you've done that. What could I possibly come into your home and offer you?" I was like, well, how about a chance to be a member of the Showtime Lakers? And he's like, yep, that's true. I don't have that. And uh, <laughs> we told him the story, and, and he was he was pretty into it. And then we went and pitched to HBO. I mean, that part of the story is pretty pretty benign, but like uh, none of this is benign. Uh, yeah, it was. And you're talking eight years. It's eight years now. That's crazy. Even when we were shooting, it was like just kind of like this is weird. This is going on. And I this, I remember we talked about this, but. You know, now it here here it is, and there's a forum, and there's the guys in the uniform, and I'm like stepping into my childhood, mm-hmm. and and that's when you talk about the passion. That's the reason because when I was a kid, we talked about this our first meeting. I grew up here. You know, I met Magic Johnson his rookie year. I was six years old. I met him. At, stood in line for three hours at the Westminster Mall. I was the kid that 
stood outside of the Laker locker room and waited for autographs after games. And the greatest days of my life were when my dad drove us up the 405 to go see the Lakers. Mm. Other kids were worried about girlfriends, and I was like, God, I hope we don't lose to Philadelphia this year. <laughs> and they're like, what are you talking about, you know? Uh, question now, though, throwing it back to Max, but Jim weigh in as well. Pat Riley as mm-hmm. a player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's talk about him a little bit, his history as a player. I mean, he was a worker. I mean, I think the funny thing about all these guys, every single one of the, every player in the NBA was the greatest player in their little world where they came from. Mm-hmm. And Pat Riley was no exception. He was the greatest player Schenectady, New York, had ever produced. He beat Kareem. He beat Kareem at, when Kareem was at Power Memorial. He was he went and played at Kentucky for Adolph Rupp, and he lost in the NCAA Finals to Houston, right? Texas uh, Western. Texas Western. The Glory Road right. game. One of and, most, yeah, yeah, one of the most iconic games to yeah. Texas Western. And then you get to the NBA, and in his case, he was that, he was that bench warmer, a re, and he made his career on that work ethic on being a hustle player on going for the rebounds on you but know. I think also that time on the bench taught him the mm-hmm. game in a different well, type I think of way that's added it. a dimension I, I, th- I think we've talked a lot about this when mm-hmm. we talk about what what is it what's formative about his character what made him a great coach mm-hmm. because I, he didn't then quit or he didn't retire and go think to himself I want to be a coach his dad had been a coach a baseball, a mm-hmm. minor league baseball. He had played one game in the majors. 12 at-bats. Tw- oh, 12 at-bats. So like yeah. four games or whatever it was. Three or four one games. One hit. And then he spent, he was actually Tommy Lasorda's coach in the minors. Mm-hmm. And he, he was a minor league coach for ages and never got, never made it up to the big leagues as a coach and it broke his heart. And so Pat never thought of himself as a coach. His mm-hmm. dad was his driver and had driven him and he thought of his dad as a coach. When he was retired, he was totally adrift. But that thing you're saying, like what he ultimately took with him, at least I think we all mm-hmm. agree, right, is that he that work ethic and that sense of understanding. But I think that was in his subconscious. And it's right. odd that he married a therapist mm-hmm. in that totally. way. But I think in the subconscious, there was this thing that maybe was nagging at him that he knew, but he hadn't accepted it yet. And when we meet him in series, he's sort of drifting. Yep. And lost. All I've ever done is work. I worked my whole life. Chris, that's all I've done. Mm. Day and night, I work. Every time I leave the I'd leave the court, and I'd see him in my mind's eye, a beer in his hand, sitting in that ugly fucking chair. And I'd work harder. At basketball. Yeah. What else? Yeah. Can we talk well, about that? Well, he had been, I mean, this will actually speak to the, the, the strange power of Chick Hearn as an announcer. That's when where he was we're going. Playing yeah. in, uh, well, even before that, they had a long relationship. When he was playing in Portland and he was miserable— he ran into Chick after a game and said, can you please help me? He and, wanted to be somewhere better than yeah, Portland. Yeah, and Chick got him on the Lakers. Mm. And he was like Jerry West's practice dummy, basically. Like, his job was beat the hell out of Jerry West. In practice. And get him in shape. And and the result of that is the 72 Lakers, that 33-game winning streak, the, mo- the best record in the history of basketball, and finally got Jerry West a championship. Mm-hmm. Last question. Jack McKinney and Pat Riley. Their journeys, how they come from 
different places into the game. Mm. How does it speak to the larger idea of what this show is? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know that this is exactly true, but you almost get the sense that if basketball or the Lakers never happened, Jack McKinney would still be a pretty happy person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he would yeah. be okay without it. And mm-hmm. and I think in in our episode in our show that's almost death for a character mm-hmm. because the guys like Do you Pat think Riley, so about Jack? I don't, don't you? I, I mean, don't I just, think so. He's, well, I don't know. I mean, he would. I think he he he. I think the thing that's in Pat Riley that keeps him going, Jack doesn't have it in the right. same way. I think they're different types of people. Yes. I think that Jack McKinney could go on and be happy with his life, whereas Pat Riley probably wouldn't have been if he didn't find the thing that he found. I I don't know. I would say that about Paul Westhead, but I would say that Jack McKinney is a character. I think Jack McKinney and Pat Riley are more similar Mm -hmm. than, than different. They're completely different personalities, and they have different backstories and whatever, but I think McKinney, as we'll see over the course of the season, the desperation, the amount that he's willing to give to this game Mm -hmm. is as much as anybody. He has a different turn of events in his life. And and I think Westhead is a guy who, like, at least at that time, he never, he didn't look at it like, I'm going to be the, a big, you know, a coach in the NBA. He, like, stumbled into it almost. True, but I I think that with McKinney, like, For him, he's more in the process and the joy of actually, like, being a coach. And not and, having to be have the spotlight shining right, on him. To right. me, there's a degree of acceptance and humility in him yes. that differs from the Pat Riley that That, I, I think, think, is of. a really yeah. astute. That so, yes. personality thing in the humility, or the, the he's not he a would never wear. Guy. He would never have the slick back hair and the Armani suit. No, He'd right. never be that guy, even no, no matter how big the team Right, absolutely. That's for sure. But I think he wants that victory and that he ring every that. bit yes. as much as Pat. He does. Like he'd shoot he does. through his own arm to get it sure. the same way as everyone do. else. Yes. But do you think Jack's as broken as the characters yes. did it? You do. A hundred percent. Okay. I think every character like that on this show who gives their life to this thing is equally broken. And I love that about them. But I do think that, yeah. Yeah, there's I don't know. There's something about the thing that Rodney's talking about that he's chasing. It's the winning time thing. Like the thing that he's chasing, this sort of like out there ephemeral only exists for one second and then it's gone, isn't real. Yeah. I think there's some people that can adapt and accept, and I think others that can't. But I do think they're all on the same track at this moment in time in the show. Max and Jim, thank you for both taking time to be on the show. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Rodney. Oh, awesome. you're very welcome. You're very good thank at this. You. Oh, and I'm man. not saying that with any surprise at no, all. No, I'm a lovely. I'm a lovely person. It's no, Maurice. I have no surprise. Who knew? Come on, man. Come on. So we're coming up on the end of the show. But before I go want to leave you with this week's buzzer beater moment that behind the scenes detail that you might have missed so that iconic moment in television history when pat riley is trying to get into the forum and he is blocked by me playing the character of maurice the head of Lakers security no former players we're not actually at the forum we're actually in a parking lot of a horse racing track And again, this is television cinema magic where we redressed the front of that building to make it look like the form. And we did the same thing with the inside of it, which was actually on a soundstage. We rebuilt the form to perfect specs of the actual form in Inglewood. Everything was manufactured by our great set design folks. And we also had a visual effects component 
that made it look like there were 20,000 people in an arena, when actually on the day, we never really had more than 500, and we just moved that 500 all around. So big ups to our set design department and everybody involved who created a form from virtually nothingness. Thanks for listening to the official Winning Time podcast. And a special thank you to our guests, Max Bornstein and Jim Hecht. You can watch new episodes of Winning Time on HBO Max Sunday nights. Our next episode comes out on March the 27th. See you then. This is the official Winning Time companion podcast. And it's a production of HBO, Pineapple Street Studios, and Hyper Object Industries. Our executive producers are Harry Nelson, Claire Slaughter, Gabrielle Lewis, Barry Finkel, Max Linsky, and Jenna Weiss-Berman. Our lead producer on the show is Jess Hackle. Aaron Kelly is our managing producer. Shaka Mali, Jonathan Shiflett, and Ellie Adler are our producers. Darby Maloney is our editor, and our engineers are Davey Sumner and Jason Richards. Production music is courtesy of HBO, and you can watch episodes of Winning Time on HBO Max. <laughs>